0: And if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter five, Old Testament, hard book to find. Daniel chapter five, and if you're one of our note takers this morning, I'm going to disappoint you in the next few minutes. Uh, I had prepared a message this week for you, uh, for all of you, on uh, Easter surprises, and we were going to look at how the veil in the temple was torn. Uh, but all week, I just really didn't feel good about the message and. And then on Saturday morning, I woke up, I thought I would tinker with it a little bit and just get it where it needed to be. And so off and on, all day Saturday, I worked with it, went to bed last night, still didn't feel good about it, got up this morning, uh, really early, read through the message, and I knew then uh, that that's just not what God wanted me to stand and share with you today. So I've shifted gears a little bit. And so there aren't any slides, there aren't any notes, you're just on your own. Uh, But I think I have something that uh, the Lord wants me to share. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5, and I want to just look in the beginning at one verse right near the end of that chapter, one verse that I think is one of the most tragic verses in all the Bible. This one verse shows us a decision that's made that is perhaps the worst decision that anybody ever made. Now, it's an unfamiliar verse. You may not know the story. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want us to begin just by reading this verse and seeing this terrible, terrible decision. It says, then Belshazzar, and we'll talk in a moment about who he is, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, I think, uh, gave an order and they clothed Daniel in purple and placed a gold chain around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, that may not sound like a momentous decision, but it was. It changed everything about this king's life. It is one of the worst decisions ever made. And the reason we need to study it today is because many of us make the same decision. I think at the end of the service last week, I could see into some people's faces that they were making this Belshazzar decision. Some people will make it probably today at the end of this uh, service. I had a counseling appointment two or three weeks ago, and when I finished the counseling appointment and uh, the person stood and shook my hand and turned around to walk out of the office, I knew in my heart, or I believed in my heart, that person just made this Belshazzar decision. This is a very important, terrible decision that all of us uh, need to understand. Now, really to understand it, we we just need to go back to the beginning of the chapter. And it's a long chapter. We're going to read nearly every verse, but we just need to know the setting. We need to understand what exactly has happened when Belshazzar gives this this robe and this title and this gift to Daniel and why that was such a terrible decision. So Daniel chapter 5, let's just begin reading in verse 1. It says, King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. And under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his nobles, wives and concubines could drink from them. So what we have here is just a big party, big party, lots of people. And so he's throwing this party and he's just celebrating how wonderful he is and how successful his kingdom is. He is the, uh, the last king of Babylon, really Neo-Babylon, but he's the last king of Babylon. This would have been 539 B.C. when this happened. Most of you weren't alive then, so it was a long time ago. And so he's throwing this party and then he decides in the middle of the party that he wants to take it one step further. And so he sends for the vessels, for the utensils that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, had taken from the Jewish temple when he had overthrown Jerusalem. And so years ago, Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, had overthrown the city of Jerusalem, had had overthrown the temple, and he had taken these, uh, these utensils out. There were plates, and there were forks and spoons, and there were cups, and they were made of gold and silver, so he wanted to get them because they were valuable to him. And so Nebuchadnezzar brings them back, and he just puts them in his treasury, or maybe puts them in a museum of some kind. Well, now Belshazzar in the middle of this party says, I want to go and drink out of those cups. I wanna eat off those plates. And it wasn't because he didn't have enough cups and plates, but he wanted to just thumb his nose at God. He just wanted to say, God, look, you are the one who says that you are the king of the universe, but look at me. I am the true king, the king of Babylon, and I can do whatever I want to, and I will throw a party with the utensils that were used to bring worship and honor to you. And so he just really thumbs his nose at God. He is, uh, he's pretty brave at this point, but look at verse three. It says, so they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods made of gold and silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone. And so they're, they're worshiping their own gods. And then verse 5, at that moment, at that very moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. Now we'll stop there a moment. All of a sudden, the party goes silent. I mean, everybody's having a good time and everybody's uh, uh, partying, doing whatever, whatever they did in this kind of uh, a Babylonian party, but all of a sudden everything goes silent because God causes a hand, a disembodied hand to appear floating in the air, must have been a big hand because it got everybody's attention. And this hand stuck out a finger and began to write a message in the plaster of the wall. Now, what we're trying to do as we study Daniel chapter 5 is we're trying to get back down to this last verse that we read a moment ago. We're trying to get back to this terrible decision, and we're going to get there. But as we go through there, let me just point out a few life lessons that we can learn. And right here we see one. Life lesson number one, God will get your attention. When God wants your attention, listen, he will get your attention. He will do whatever is necessary to get your attention and he does for these people. He does for this king. He causes his hand to appear and it begins to write on the wall and immediately everything stops. God has their attention. Now let's continue to read. We're about halfway through verse five. It says, as the king watched the hand that was writing, verse six, his face turned pale And his thoughts so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. Now, of course, right? Uh, He is scared to death. I would have been scared to death. I would have been out the back door. If you didn't have one, I'd make one. I would have been out of there. And so he is so scared. The Bible says he loses the color in his face. Uh, My Bible says that uh, he soiled himself. Your Bible may say that his hips were loosened. What it says in the Hebrew is that the knots... In his loin were loosened so you figure out what you think that means and his knees knocked together Uh, he was absolutely scared to death now here we see life lesson number two God's aim is to change your countenance and not your character because as emotional as Belshazzar was We'll see at the end of the story, he never really changed. As emotional as he was, as as emotional as he was on the outside, we're going to get to the end of the story in a moment, and we're going to discover that nothing really ever changed on the inside. See, God's not so much interested in the emotions that we have. God is interested in the changes that we experience. I've been a pastor long enough to know that you cannot judge someone's decision by the emotions that they demonstrate. See, a lot of people can get very emotional about things. And sometimes those, those decisions, sometimes those commitments, sometimes those surrenders are legitimate, but oftentimes it's just emotion. And, and what we see here is that Belshazzar was very emotional when, when God got his attention. And, and we're very emotional when God gets our attention, but it's not the emotions that God's aiming to change. It's the character that God's aiming to change. And we'll see in a moment that Belshazzar's character Never changes. And so let's just continue to read. Verse 8 says So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. And then King Belshazzar uh, became even more terrified, and his face turned pale, and his nobles were bewildered. And so he turns to his advisors. And there's no help. Nobody knows what God's trying to say through this uh, message on the wall. And so in the next few verses, the king's wife comes in and she suggests that he reach out to Daniel, uh, a man that had helped uh, his predecessor when there were uh, difficult riddles to solve. And so he calls Daniel in, skip down to verse 13. We read that part of the story. It says, then Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods in you and that insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and mediums were brought before me to read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not give its interpretation However, I have heard about you and that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, so he says, Daniel, I hear you can solve this riddle. And so now he's going to give him an offer. He says, therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck And have the third highest position in the kingdom. Now let's just stop there. Because I want you to see the offer that Belshazzar makes to Daniel. He says, if you can read this this inscription, if you can explain to me what it means, then I'll give you three things. I'll give you a gold chain around your neck. And so that would be like a trophy, but a very valuable trophy, a very valuable award. I will give you a a purple robe and so that would uh, mark his importance and I will make you the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So that's the offer. We we didn't read the verse, but uh, Belshazzar had made the same offer to some others and they couldn't read the inscription. So now he makes this offer of these three gifts, he's going to give them to Daniel if he can just read and explain what has been written. Now look at verse 17, it says, then Daniel answered the king. You may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. And so Daniel says, listen, I don't want your, uh, your, your, your trinkets. I don't want your gold. I don't want your robe. I don't want a position in your kingdom. You can give all of that to somebody else. But by God's help, I will tell you what the inscription means. Now, verse 18, here's where it begins. Your majesty, uh, the most high God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. So he's going to remind him of something that had happened previously. He says in verse 19, because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. And he killed anyone he wanted to kill and kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from the royal throne and his glory was taken from him. And so he's, he's talking about Belshazzar's predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar was a mighty king and he did anything he wanted to do, but his heart grew so proud that God decided to humble him. And so here's what happened. Verse 21, he was driven away from the people. His mind was like an animal's, he lived with the wild donkeys, he was fed grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the most high God is ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. And so he says, don't you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? And he became proud, but God humbled him. God made him as if he were an animal, and he lived outside. And it wasn't until finally Nebuchadnezzar recognized that God was sovereign, that God was Lord, that God finally uh, pulled back from uh, from his great punishment. Look at verse 22. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. He says, Belshazzar, you knew this, But you have been proud, and you have not learned the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned. Verse 23, instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you. That's the utensils that they used. And as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand, who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore he sent the hand and the writing that was prescribed. Now let me just share with you a life lesson number three. As we get a little closer to this terrible decision that uh, Belshazzar made, life lesson number three is you get to choose how loudly God is going to speak. So Uh, Belshazzar knew what God had done for Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar had had grown proud and that God had disciplined him and continued to discipline him until he repented. He was aware of that. And so he could have learned from that, but he didn't. And so God had to speak a little louder and then God had to speak a little louder. And now God's speaking very loudly to Belshazzar enough that he interrupts a party and writes a message on the plaster of the wall. See, listen, God has a message for you. God is going to speak to you, but you get to choose how loudly he speaks. Now God would prefer for us just to learn things from his word. I mean, God has given us his word and he has given us these, these principles and these laws and this teaching and these stories so that we could learn from his word. And so that's how God would choose. That's how God would prefer that we learn. But if you don't listen to God's word, then God will speak a little louder. He may speak through circumstances. And so there may be circumstances that come in your life that will just sort of give you pause and, and perhaps get you to think about what it is that God's trying to do and what God's communicating and what God's trying to change in your life. He'll bring circumstances in your life. And then if you don't respond to the circumstances, then God may bring calamity in your life. God may allow terrible things to come in your life. Now God's not the author of evil and God is not the one who has created disaster. But God will allow those things to come into your life if that's what it takes to get our attention. God loves us that much. And so what we see here is that uh, Belshazzar had an opportunity just to learn this essentially from God's Word. He could have looked into history and he could have seen what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and he could have learned the lesson that way. He ascent, could have learned it from God's Word, but he didn't, so God had to speak louder. I think about my kids, and I'm not, um, I'm not one to lose my temper. I have some other struggles in life, but temper is not usually one of them. But when it comes to my kids, they get to choose how loudly Dad speaks. you know what I mean? I mean, if I say... To my kids, and this is usually how it begins. I need you to go and clean your room. I need you to clean your room. I need you to get your homework done. I need you to take care of this. I need you to read a book. I need you to do something. And so I I will tell them calmly and quietly that's what they need to do. And if they respond, then that's the end of it, right? You have kids, you know how this works. If they don't, then things get a little louder. And then there might be a little threat that goes along with it. You need to clean your room, and it needs to be done by this time, or else this other thing is going to happen. And so now it's a little more pointed. It's a little, it's a little easier to understand. It gets their attention a little bit. And, and you know, if they'll clean their room then, then that solves that. But if they don't, dad has the ability to get much louder. You know what I mean? I mean, I can really get their attention if I need to. And there have been a few times when I've had to get my kids' attention. Now, I've got great kids, but occasionally dad has had to lower the boom, so to speak. But you know who decides the volume of dad's instructions? The kids do. And you know who decides the volume of God's instructions for us? We do. And Belshazzar is about to learn that important lesson. And so beginning in verse 25, we're going to see the message. Don't you want to know now what the message is? It's been written on the wall. There's there's four words, really three words, but the first one is is, uh, listed twice. There are four words here, three or four words, and everything hinges on these three or four words. And so verse 25 five says, this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel, and parson. Many, many, tekel, parson. And this is the interpretation of the message. Many means, these are the words of Daniel explaining this to Belshazzar, Many means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. So Daniel says, uh, King, God has taken an inventory of your life. In fact, that is life lesson. What what number are we on? Number four, God will take an inventory of your life. What, what What Daniel says is, Belshazzar, God knows everything there is to know about you. God has looked at your actions, he's looked at your attitudes, he's looked at your motivations, he's looked at your aspirations, he's looked at the thoughts that run through your mind, he says, I have taken an inventory of your life. And what we need to know is that God has taken an inventory of our lives. God knows everything you thought about yesterday. God knows everything you're thinking about doing tomorrow. God knows the attitude you have towards your wife. God knows uh, the attitude that you have towards your children. God knows everything. He has taken an inventory of. Of our lives, And so that's the first word. Many, many. It's almost as if God has done it twice. He's, he's done an inventory and he's gone back and he's checked the list twice. He, he's absolutely certain he knows what's in all of our lives. And then verse 27, tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. What Daniel says to Belshazzar is that I have weighed your life, I have inventoried your life, God has, and he's put you on this balance. Remember those old scales, if you're old enough, that they would have in the grocery store, and so there are you know, two different sides, and so you put a pound of produce on one side, and, and you put a, a, a one-pound weight on the other side, and they balance out, and that's how you know how much produce you have. Well, well it, it, it's that kind of thing, and God says, on one side, I have taken an inventory of your life, and I have compared it against a standard, and you have come up short. And so we see life lesson number five there. God compares us to a standard. God always compares us to a standard. Uh, Let me tell you some of the standards that God uses in our lives. Uh, The first standard is the standard of perfection. God expects that every person, God's law requires that every person live a perfect, sinless life. That's the standard He he compares us against. Our our life, a, a measured, inventoried life on one side, perfection on the other. And you know what? He tells us in the New Testament that everybody comes short of that standard. That's why Jesus had to come and die upon the cross because we've fallen short and our only hope of being right with God is for Jesus to come and lay his life on the balance, to lay his life on the scale and to balance things out because we all fall short of that standard. The only hope that you have, if you've you've never done this before, the only hope you have of having a relationship with God, because God has measured your life and you have fallen short of the standard of perfection, the only hope you have is putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Apart from that, you will always fall short. Now, let me tell you about another standard though, and that's the, the standard of instruction. So I think God measures us against the things that he has taught us, that he has, that he has told us. And, and so in this case, uh, he, he makes it clear that God had provided this example through Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor. And God had demonstrated in Nebuchadnezzar's life that you must not be proud, that you must humble yourself under the hand of God. And Belshazzar refused to learn the lesson. And so when God compared Belshazzar with the lessons that he had been taught, he says, Belshazzar, you have come short. I have taught you the truth. I have given you an example in Nebuchadnezzar. The the lesson was clear, but you've fallen short of what you know you should have done. And you know, for many of us, God has inventoried our lives and we've fallen short of what we know we ought to be, what we know we ought to do. We've fallen short in in, in reading our Bibles and praying. We've fallen short in in ministry and being involved in the church. We've fallen short in showing love to people and sharing the gospel with people and being involved in missions and and living a life and having a marriage that would bring honor to God. We've heard the instructions. We, We know what God has told us to do. And God has inventoried our lives and he has compared it against the standard of the instructions that he's given to us. And, and so he says to us, like he said to Belshazzar, mini, mini, tekel. I've inventoried your life and you've fallen short of the standard. But I tell you, I think there's another standard that he compares us to. And I th- this is the standard of potential. You know, God has given us uh, certain gifts and, and talents and, uh, and abilities uh, One of the things I love about this church is there's so many talented people here, all of these people behind me that can sing so well. That is amazing what they do and the vision that was singing and all of these instrument players over here and all the people in the church. It's amazing the kind of potential that God has given so many people in our church to do so many things. And when God gives us those things, it's not just so that we can personally enjoy them it's not just so that life might be a little easier for us. It's not just so that we can have a hobby, but God gives us those abilities and those spiritual gifts so that we can go and make an impact for his kingdom. And God has great expectations of you. God has great expectations of this church to impact this community and impact the university here and, 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 and to impact Uh, places all around the world. God has these expectations of us as a group and God has expectations of you as an individual. And and, and I think what God says sometimes is, I've inventoried your life and I've compared you to the standard. I've compared you to the potential that you have and you've fallen short. And so Daniel says to Belshazzar, many, many tekel." I have inventoried your life, and I have compared you to a standard, and you have fallen short. Now, let's look at the next verse. We're getting close to getting back to verse 29, this terrible decision. Perez, verse 29. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, the life lesson here is God will eventually call time. Have you ever played a game and I don't know, maybe hot potato or something in your kid's game and you're passing it around, but eventually somebody calls time. Or maybe it's a football game you're watching and your team is trying to come back at the last minute and you're marching down the field and you're trying to score that touchdown because you're five points behind and you gotta get this touchdown or you're not gonna win the game. And and eventually the buzzer sounds and and the referees call time and it's over. Well, that's what this is. God, God says to Belshazzar, You know, I've inventoried your life and you fall short of the standard and now I'm calling time. Your time is out. God will eventually call time. You know, I think we we live like we are going to live forever. We live like our kids are going to be in our homes forever. We live like our kids are going to be young forever until they become teenagers, and then we have all kind of regrets that we didn't invest in them when they were young. And then when they're teenagers, we, we live like they're going to be in our homes forever until one day they go to college, and then we regret that we've lost this potential, this opportunity to have impact and influence in their lives like we did have. And, 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 and things are always changing. We, we, we have teenagers who are in school and have an opportunity to impact their campus for Christ. But but they don't do it. They think, oh, I will be here forever. There will always be an opportunity. And eventually God calls time. God calls time. And that was what, um, what was happening here. Now, all that being said, the next verse is verse 29. We've come, come back to where we started. And here's, here's what I want you to see, the worst decision that anybody's ever made. It says, then, now the word then means after all of this other has happened, the writing on the wall, Daniel coming in, telling the story of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel interpreting what's on the wall, then Belshazzar gave an order. Now, what do you think Belshazzar would order at a time like that? It says, Belshazzar gave an order and they clothed Daniel in purple placed a gold chain around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, do you see a problem with that? There are a couple of problems. First of all, Daniel said he didn't want that. He said you keep your, keep your uh, prizes or give them to somebody else. But there's a bigger problem. Do you see the bigger problem? Daniel just told him Your kingdom is coming to an end. God is calling time. He's inventoried your life. He's compared you to the standard. And God says, time's up. The kingdom is coming to an end. And Belshazzar says, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, pastor, for sharing that message with me. Now, here's your robe, and here's your chain, and here's your uh, promotion, and he pats him on the shoulder. He shakes his hand. He tells him he did a good job. And then, and then what? Did he not hear the message? Daniel just said, this is the end. This is the end. The kingdom is coming to an end. And Belshazzar ignores the message and goes on like he never heard anything from God. Do you see the, see the terrible decision? Do you see the problem here? He heard the message. He, he believed the message. I mean, if he didn't believe the message, he, he would have just had Daniel killed. He, he would have just said, oh, you made that up. He wouldn't have, have rewarded him if he didn't believe it. So he heard the message, he believed the message, but then he completely ignored the message. Now here's the problem in our relationship with God. And, and here's the problem that happens in church with church people who know and love the Lord. We, we hear the message, whether it's a message from a, from a pulpit and on a Sunday morning or it's a, it's a message in a Sunday school class or it's a message when we're reading our Bibles at home, we hear the message and we're good Christians. We believe the message just like Bill Shazer believed what Daniel told him. We believe the message. But then here's the scary thing. So often, we don't do anything about it. We hear it, we believe it, and we ignore it. Listen, I love to stand at the back of the church, and our church sort of works a little differently here. There's not really a back. If I stand at the back, I won't see anybody, but, uh, you know, most churches, when you finish preaching, you go stand at the back, and everybody lines up, and they walk by the pastor, and they shake his hand, and everybody says the same thing, whether they believe it or not. They say, good message, pastor, good message, pastor, and, you know, a hundred people tell you that on the way out, and, and um, but, you know, I just wonder in my, in my mind when people come by and they say those things, I... I just, I want to shake them sometimes and say, quit evaluating the message and start responding to the message. We, we didn't do this so you'd be entertained. We didn't do this so you'd find it interesting. We didn't do this so you would think it was good or bad. No, the message, the purpose of the message is that we would change. And so Bill uh, Belshazzar, he, he hears the message, he believes the message, but he doesn't change. At a counseling appointment I shared with you a few weeks ago, and, and, and I shared a message, and he heard it, she heard it, believed the message, thanked me for the message, but but no change. I look into people's faces on Sundays, and while I can't know anybody's heart, I sometimes think there's a Bill Shazer over there. Somebody will come and shake my hand afterwards, and sometimes I, I think I'm not being judgmental, but I just Sometimes I just think there's, there's a Belshazzar. He heard it, she heard it, she believed it, and she just let it roll off her back. I want you to see the next uh, two verses. Verse 30 says, That very night Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62 was over. He'd been given warning, but now he ignored it and it's over. And so here's my challenge this, uh, this morning, a little different message, but I, but listen, here's the challenge. What is God saying to you today? I I don't just mean what is God saying in a message like this, but what has God been challenging you about? What has God been convicting your heart about? What messages have you heard either either here or or in your Bible study or in your Sunday school class or or, or from friends as as, as God has spoken through people? What has God said to you and when are you going to respond? Just so your head bowed, eyes closed for a moment, let's do this. We're going to stand and sing here just shortly, but just as quietly as you can, I want you to listen and think. I believe God's speaking all the time to to his children. I I don't think God ever takes takes a break. I think God's always working on us. God's working on you. He's trying to change you. He's trying to shape you, to form the character of Christ in you. The question isn't whether or not God is speaking. The question is whether we're listening. And soon, if we're not listening, the question may be how loudly God may speak in the future. But for today, it's whether or not we'll listen. So what is God doing in your life? Whether you're nine years old or you're 90 years old, God's doing something. If he were finished, he would have taken you home. He's doing something. What is God trying to tell you now just your head bowed and eyes closed the worst decision you can make is to be a Belshazzar is to hear it and believe it and ignore it what are you going to do about what God is saying to you today if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you in a moment when we stand and sing just to step down here and I or somebody else will speak with you and we'll share with you the wonderful news about how you can be a part of God's family. If you don't know, if that just confuses you, step down here let us help you with that. If you need to make a decision, if you, if you need to join the church, I invite you to step down. Let us talk to you. Let us, let us begin that process of bringing you into our family. But I think there are a lot of people that need to make other kind of decisions. And whether it requires you to come down or not, I don't know. But I beg you, don't be a Belshazzar today. Don't hear it, believe it, and ignore it. But respond today to what you know the Lord is saying. Father, forgive me for the times I've been Belshazzar. I know I have. But I think even today, you're you're impressing things on my heart that you want to do in my life. I don't want to fall short of the standard. Help me to respond. Give me the boldness and the courage and help me to respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond to the Lord.